unseen hours. That's what it is. It's best of the best. They separate themselves when no one else is watching. Being extraordinary is having a relentless commitment during the unseen hours to work towards mastery of your craft and focus on the fundamentals. Being extraordinary is about doing the little things right every single day. In today's episode, I chop it up with my longtime friend and colleague, Drew Hanlon. Drew is the founder of Pure Sweat Basketball and is the world's top NBA strategic skills coach and works closely on a year-round basis with NBA stars such as Joel Embiid, Jason Tatum, Zach Levine, Tyler Hero, and Bradley Beal. I met Drew well over a decade ago when he was a sophomore point guard at Belmont University. Drew is absolutely one of the most driven, dedicated, and hardworking people I have ever met. And he is the one that first coined the term unseen hours, which I have conveniently borrowed. Warning, this episode contains the occasional use of adult language. Words like and and quite possibly some nudity. So please be advised. Here's my conversation with the one and only Drew Hanlon. So Drew, as you know, this entire season is dedicated to the unseen hours and and what people do from a variety of different industries when no one is watching. And obviously this is the term that I have conveniently borrowed from you because I fell in love with it the, the moment you shared it with me, which was almost a decade ago. When and how did you come up with the term unseen hours? And then let's hear straight from you exactly what that term means. Yeah. So, I mean, honestly, it was during an interview that I was doing and we were documenting all these NBA players, their summer grinds. I was doing an interview with, with Sam Lamone, who obviously, you know, well, my, my video guy. And I started talking about it and I was like, you know, I was like, the reason we're doing this is because, you know, no one really knows what goes on when no one's watching, you know, the, these, these hours they are, you know, they're not seen by everyone. I was like these unseen hours person that I think of like when I think of a successful basketball player is someone that like is like bent over dripping in sweat at the point of exhaustion when no one else is watching like somebody just hands on their knees breathing heavily no one else is in the gym they're working themselves to that level and I said it and it just like clicked like it was weird because I was in the process of doing the interview and I was like that's it like unseen hours that's what it is it's best of the best they separate themselves when no one else is watching and you think about it it's really easy to work really hard when you're being watched, when you're being pushed, when you're being pulled, you know, when eyes are on you, you know, it's those, those moments where you say you're on a diet, no one else is around you. There's, you know, some, one of your favorite sweets is right in front of you. No one knows that, you know, if you eat that or not eat that, but it's like, you know, and I really think that, you know, confidence comes from keeping the promises that you set with yourself. And I think that all starts from, you know, really doing the things that you say you're going to do even when no one's watching. Okay, well, that's smart. And, uh, you know, I I look at people that are in the gym by themselves all the time because I love it. When I show up to a gym to work out a client, there might be a sixth grader, you know, working on their game. And I always try to, like, watch from afar and see what they're doing before I walk in the gym. And then after I walk in the gym, I see their intensity rise up. And I'm like, man, if there's a gap between what you do when no one's watching and what you do when someone's watching, you're just setting yourself up for failure, letting yourself down. And so... Unseen hours to me is just, you know, all the purposeful work that you do when no one's watching so that you can get the results that you want when everyone's watching. Oh, so brilliantly said. And now there's two directions that I want to go with this. One, I want to learn more about what you personally do during the unseen hours to be world-class at your craft. But you obviously have intimate knowledge of what guys like Jason Tatum, Zach Levine, Victor Oladipo, RJ Barrett, Joel Embiid. I mean, the list is, is incredible. 
what those guys do, because as you can appreciate, the average fan only sees what they do when the lights are on, the cheerleaders are dancing and it's game time. But I don't think they can really grasp how much work goes into what they do for us to enjoy them, you know, when they actually play. So let's go down the, the player route first. Give us some insight uh, into what guys like Zach Levine, Joel Embiid, and Jason Tatum do when no one's watching, or at least when you're the only one watching. I think the first thing is I want to start back to when these guys were younger, because I think that is, is more relatable because nowadays they live in this perfect world where they have, you know, their own physical, you know, therapist traveling around with them, their own weight coach traveling around with them. They have me with them. They have, you know, so, so nowadays it looks like when they wake up, they're getting soft tissue or deep tissue work. Then they're going and they're doing their stretching and their yoga, or there's some kind of, some kind of additional body work. Then they're doing their strength and conditioning. Then they're on the court with me. Then we might do a video session. We might not do a video session. Then they're getting stretched out afterwards and, and doing, you know, massage work. Then after that, they might come in and get shots up at night. That's like an ideal world. That's something that costs, you know, half a million to a million dollars a year to obtain for these superstars. But take them back to when they were in high school. What it looked like was, you know, for Jason Tatum, Brad Beal, these guys, they used to meet me at the gym every single morning, normally at 6 a.m. That's when we would meet at the gym. We go from six to seven thirty, go an hour and a half, really, really purposeful game speed. After that, they'd go to school. That's you know what you have to do when you're younger. After school, normally you have your team practice. That might last for an hour, hour and a half, two hours, depending on what kind of phase of the season you're in. Then after that, we used to meet back up at the gym later on at night, and then somewhere in between there, they would sneak in a lift. Um, you know, if they weren't lifting during school, that's what the unseen hours looks like for these top prospects when they're in high school. Working hard doesn't guarantee us anything. But if we work hard, we work smart, we work consistently, it just improves our chances of getting good results. Then when they go to pre-draft, you almost double that. They're doing two a days, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. Wednesday and Saturdays are doing one a day. But then they're also getting four lifts a week. They're also doing four body treatments a week. They're also getting in film and activation stuff so that they can stimulate their mind and, and, and improve their IQ. So. It's really just, you know, a lot of people have an eight hour kind of work day in, in the real world. These guys are just putting eight hours into their craft, whether that's, you know, getting stretched, getting massages, getting body work, you know, lifting or working on basketball, whether that's on the court or in the film room. Oh, my goodness. Now, I want to go back to something you said a little bit earlier about that gap between what you do when no one's watching and then when you usually raise that intensity <clears throat> level when someone comes in the room. And I've been very fortunate to watch some of your workouts, and I know how hard your guys work when they're with you, how hard you challenge them and push them. What is kind of the secret for them to maintain that level of intensity when you're not there or when any coach or someone's not there, um, you know, what is it that you recommend or what is it that you do to make sure you're working at full capacity, even when no one's there to hold you accountable? You know, I used to just talk to them about purpose and I used to talk to them about kind of, you know, the confidence that comes from putting in the right work. And I think that was good enough for most people, because if you love basketball, you, you crave improvement enough to, you know, push yourself. But the truth is, one of the things that really helps a lot of people is connecting what they're doing to what that's going to produce. You're so wise. And so, like, if you think about it, it's like, dude, you don't want to be in the fourth quarter of game six, you know, and, and run out of gas. You don't want to get to the point where you have somebody that's, you know, you're tired, you're getting jammed in a game. And because you didn't go hard enough in a workout, now you're not able to physically get past that defender. And instead of 
you know, complaining about the ref. Now we're able to actually get past the ref because you worked relentlessly throughout the summer. So right now it's kind of painting the picture of if you do this, then this is what your reality will look like in the future. If you don't do this, this is what your reality will look like in the future. Which one? And it's an easy choice. And so the thing that we always talk about is kind of, would you rather do the tough stuff now or would you rather be in tough situations later? And it, that's easy. You'd rather do the tough stuff now instead of being in tough situations later. Mm, my goodness. I love that. That's a great question to ask. And it's great because you don't have to yell at them. You don't have to curse at them. You don't have to guilt them. You can just a matter of factly give them a binary choice of which one they want. Uh, and, and you can tell immediately the elite want to go in that, that one direction. Now let's talk a little bit about how you approach the unseen hours. I mean, I've, I mean, I have so much respect and admiration for you. And I brag all the time that you are one of the, if not the hardest working guys I've ever met in my life. And you've been that way since I met you at, you know, when you were 19 years old. And and from what you've told me, you know, you had that work ethic long before you and I ever met, which is which is pretty cool. I woke up at 4.59 a.m., was at the gym, shot a thousand shots before school. Um, every single day, I missed four days in my four years at Webster. So talk to me about how you approach your craft as a strategic NBA skills coach uh, and what are the things you're doing in the unseen hours, even before you show up to work a guy like Jason Tatum out. The, the best story to kind of paint this was, uh, you know, we brought up Sam earlier, but Sam was a relentless worker. He was a guy that for three months during Andrew Wiggins, Zach Levine, Jordan Clarkson's uh, pre-draft was filming all those guys and documenting their journey. And he was an intern. He wasn't getting paid to do it. And, I, you know, every night, He'd cut up their film. He'd cut it up in makes and misses so that I could break it down with them the next day. He was staying up till 3 a.m., waking up at 6 a.m. I mean, he was getting three hours of sleep. And he was doing it for a while, and he'd go Monday through Friday, Saturdays and Sundays. We had a little bit lighter during the pre-draft process because of load management. And um, it was great. And then, you know, he started working for me. And the first week he, he worked with me, he basically was living with me, and he was trying to keep up. Like, if I was working, he was going to work because he wanted to, like, prove to me that he was, like, this really relentless worker. And the first week he did, he kept up, he was up every second, he was working, he was grinding. And the next week he was sick the entire week. And he started, he looked at me and he was like, bro, I didn't realize that like, this is a different grind. And, you know, we have that all the time. I have interns out here that, uh, you know, be like, Hey, is there any way I could like, just see what a day in the life is like for you? I'm like, for sure. And I'm like, meet me at like, you know, 6am. And then I'm like, all right. So I'm, you know, right now, normally I wake up, I'll do morning workouts, you know, a lot of times, like today, my, my first meal was right before we did this at, at 2.15 p.m. That's my first meal. I've got the podcast with you. We've already done, you know, eight hours of workouts today. I have another podcast that I'm recording on my own, my Unseen Hours podcast. Then after that, I'm driving an hour to go work out Zach Levine down in Newport Beach. So I'm not going to get home until 8 p.m. after leaving the house at 6 a.m. Then tonight, I have to work on my book. I'm writing a book called Stop Bullshitting Yourself. So I'm literally going to write until probably 1 or 2 in the morning. And then after that, I wake up and do it all over again. So my unseen hours is just, you know, putting in a ton of work, prioritizing what matters most now, because I go through different phases throughout, you know, my, my year, um, you know, right now is a very workout heavy focus just because it's the off season where all the NBA players are all out in LA with me. They all go back, you know, after Labor Day, they go back to their teams. And so then it becomes a very travel heavy, you know, process, but I laugh at people that say they have too much on their plate. I'm like, you know, you can't complain about having too much on your plate when the goal is to eat. I like it a lot. For our entire lives, we've always you know, wanted more and we've been striving for more. And then they finally give us more. And it's like we bitch about having too much. But 
um, you know, I, I just put my head down, keep working. And as you know, you know, I'm, I'm not a big, you know, five-year guy, you know, what's going to happen in five years. I'm just saying, what do I need to do today so that I can help prepare myself and give me the best tomorrow? And I know that's going to lead me in great direction. Oh, for sure. And, and that's, I think, one of many things that separates you from everyone else in your field is your level of preparation. You know, in addition to me believing you're one of the hardest working people I've ever met, I'm pretty sure you've watched more film than arguably anybody else on the planet, you know, especially with how customized you are for each and every one of your clients and how much film you devour. Have you always been that way? Is that something, were you relentless in film study back when you're playing days in, in both high school and at Belmont? Yeah, I mean, obviously, when I was in high school, my, my high school coach, Jay Blossom, and I used to watch a lot of film just to prepare for games. You know, I was, you know, player of the year in Missouri. So a lot of teams would throw boxing ones or triangle and twos at us. So we were always trying to find ways. But I wouldn't say that I really was relentless with film until it really got to the point where I wanted to shrink the gap between my knowledge and kind of the OG's knowledge in the basketball industry. You think about it, there's guys that have been, you know, watching the NBA and studying the NBA and being a part of NBA staffs for 40, 50 years. And here I was, I was an 18 year old that wanted to work out NBA players. And I was like, there is no way that I can make up for 40 to 50 years of knowledge. The only thing that I can do is try to shrink the gap by ex expediting the learning process by literally going back and watching all the film that those people had already watched. And so the big thing that I did that always stood out was you know, for eight straight years, I, I basically I watched every single made field goal in the NBA, which is that I mean, that's over a million possessions of basketball. Um, and that helped me, you know, kind of understand, you know, what worked in different scenarios, what didn't work in different scenarios and kind of go from there. But, um, you yeah, know, I've been I've been relentless with film just because I know that film provides solutions for problems. And my job as a skills coach is to provide solutions for the problems that players have or may have. And the better I can do at preparing them for everything that they may see out on the court, the better I'm doing in my job. Oh, fantastic. I love that approach. I'm, I'm going to throw a couple of hypotheticals at you and just see how you would handle these in the unseen hours. So it's the uh, beginning of the season. All of your guys are playing and uh, let's say Zach Levine's in a little bit of a slump, has two or three games where He's not playing at the level that he and you know he's capable of playing. Are, are you reaching out to him if you are? Or are you waiting for him to reach out? Is this more words of encouragement? Are you flying to meet him somewhere to, to help kind of break him out of that? What, what would be a way that you'd approach when one of your guys maybe is just off for just a little bit? Let's do it. It's go time. First thing is I provide uh, post-game analysis videos after every game. So it doesn't matter if it's a good game, bad game, okay game. I'm, I'm going to send them a clip. Normally, we try to keep them to about 10 minutes. That way, I have to do my homework. You know, the big thing is I'm shrinking down what they need to focus on so that they're not clustered. They're not thinking about all these random things. I'm really saying, hey, normally it's like three big things that I see that are trending in, in certain directions so that we can, you know, basically fix the roof before it rains or so that we can make sure that if, if, you know, we have the best hand. We continue to go all in on those things. And so if it got to the point where there's two or three games and they can't fix things on their own, obviously we're FaceTiming after every game. We're, you know, we're talking things through. I'm immediately on a flight during the playoffs. I mean, there's times where at halftime, a guy's shot doesn't feel well. And at halftime, they text me, I'll see you tonight. And instantly I'm looking for the first, you know, direct flight to that city just so that I can be there literally for them right after the game. So I'm always on call. You know, it's one of those things that 
it's not the, uh, the best as far as lifestyle goes in the aspect of, you know, anytime these guys need me, I'm there for them. Um, that could mean there's times at 3 a.m. when, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm trying to enjoy the few hours that I do get at night and I get a FaceTime, I answer it. And there's times where I have to jump on my computer and say, all right, I'll have a video ready for you by the time that you get to practice tomorrow because they want a solution before they get to practice. So they can work on it during practice. But, you know, for me, I, I sacrifice a lot so that I can, you know, provide the best services for my clients. And not many people do it. And you know what? It's not required. That's the other thing is like, I love when new players come on board and, you know, they've been training with other trainers. They've been training with, you know, other coaches. The instant they get here, they're like the level of detail, the level of attention, the level of like service is just so unmatched. And for me, it's, it's why I've kept all my guys. You know, I've been with my clients for so many years. You know, Brad Beal and I were just talking about this the other day, but I think this is our 16th or 17th summer together. We've been together for 16 or 17 years. So more than half of his life, I've been his trainer. You know, Jason Tatum, this is our 11th summer together. He's 24 years old. You know, we've already done 11 summers together. And there's countless other people. You know, Zach Levine, we did a, I, I sent something the other day that it was like his girlfriend, you know, who's now his wife was in the background of a picture from nine years ago of us working out together. But I was like, there's two things that are wild. One, that she's in the background. And two, that it's been nine years that we've been rocking together. So um, I just take pride in, in just being there for my clients. You know, the big thing that people ask me all the time is like, they're like, do you ever worry that, um, you know, you're going to be there too much for your clients and not there enough for yourself? And I'm like, honestly, I don't. The thing that I worry about is letting a client down. Mm. I would way rather, you know, somebody at the end of their career turn to me and say, listen, you did everything you could for me. And I appreciate that. Then them write me a big check because I know the value in kind of the the level of attention and, and detail that I put into it. And so the biggest kind of, you know, praise moment for me is just when they look at you and they say, man, there's nothing more that you could have done. You gave me my best chance at succeeding. That to me is the biggest win that I can have in my industry. You're a genius. That's the most outstanding answer I've ever heard. That is, and as well as these friendships that you've built. I mean, when you work that closely with someone for nine, 11, or 16 years, you get to be really, really good friends on a variety of different levels. And it's it's been really cool for me as your friend to see your guys signing some of these enormous contracts and seeing all of the work they're putting in during the unseen hours paying off financially for them. I mean, you, what'd you tell me? You've got what, $2 billion worth of assets underneath your management, if We're you will? At we're at 3.6 after RJ signs tomorrow, 3.6 billions with a B. So, and it's cool, but like even moments, like I have a picture. I don't know if you remember taking this picture, but Brad, you came to one of Brad Beal's high school workouts yep. and we were at the Shrewsbury city center where I grew up practicing and playing. And yep. you took, you said after the workout, it was funny because it was a posed picture. Brad was had his hands on his knees, dripping in sweat. And I used to always say, you know, hands on your knees, dripping in sweat. Point of exhaustion was my quote that I use at our joint clinics. I remember afterwards, you're like, Brad, I didn't get it, but I need you to get back in your hands on your knees pose so I can like take a picture. One day you're going to love this. It's like the only thing I care about is like hard work because I, I truly believe like if you have a passion for something and you go all in with hard work, then eventually if you don't let like little things kind of turn you away and kind of like get you off the path, I was like, eventually you'll be successful. And that picture was from, I think, 2011. So that was, you know, we're talking about, you know, 11 years ago. But it's just crazy, you know, how we've been so closely connected for that many years. And you've got to see these guys go from me telling you, hey, I got a high school kid that's going to be really special to now a guy, Brad Beal, who's I mean, he's got over 400 
million dollars in contracts. Uh, yeah, it is pretty remarkable. I mean, it's fun for me to even look back on some of those days and, and, and some of the unseen hours that you allowed me to watch. So we, we covered the hypothetical of uh, a players maybe in a little bit of slump. How about on the other end? And this one's may actually be in reality. You know, you've got a player like Jason Tatum, who was on the biggest stage that basketball offers this, this past season, you know, a, a stage that he had never been on before. Is there anything you're doing preemptive to be proactive to let him know, Hey man, you deserve and have earned the right to be here. This is your time to shine. Cause I, I thought he handled it brilliantly. We had one of the cooler conversations that I've ever had. We were in San Francisco, his hotel had a gym and the night before game one, we were working out in, in the middle of his like, you know, warm up shots that he would do. We always do five spots, make five from the mid range, two in a row from seven spots. We've done it since he was 13 years old. And like, he gets to like the third or fourth spot and he's shooting his mid range shots. And we always talk, this is the warm up. We, we just completely ignore. It's not a real warm up. It is us just basically talking. We're kind of decoding what we need to do. And then after the warm up, that's when we actually start the workout. And I remember he just stopped and we're just sitting there talking. I'm like, think about this. You're 24 years old. You've been to now three Eastern conference finals. You took LeBron to game seven. You dunked on LeBron in your rookie year. Now you're in the finals against Steph Curry. One of the, again, one of the best players of all time and really like to take a step back because it hadn't hit him yet. And I was like, at some point it's going to hit you. You don't want it to hit you right there. And, and it was funny because even after that, you know, I remember him being like, yeah, game one, I was nervous. Uh, you know, they got the win. He had, I think 13 assists, which was like, you know, his career high, but he's like, dude, I remember he's like, I was a little bit nervous and I walked out and Jay-Z sitting courtside. And I was like, Whoa, we're at the finals. Jay-Z sitting courtside. Like, so I think there's some things you can't prepare for, but what you're trying to do is you're trying to get them mentally, emotionally, physically, and skill set. You know, we're trying to get them ready in all those different categories so that when they go out there, all they have to do is go out there and hoop. So if you want more confidence, there's not like a magic pill that you can take. What it, what it is, it's all about consistently seeing improvement in workouts, consistently seeing results in workouts, and then eventually trusting those results are gonna bleed into the real game. That's a, a, a solid approach because you can't ever prepare for that type of moment, but you can, you can drop the breadcrumbs to hopefully be in a position to handle it when it does arise. You know, now you're at a point in your career where everybody in the NBA knows you. I mean, I was watching the finals and three or four times the commentators actually mentioned you by name, which was really cool. But I would imagine several years ago, before many of the people in the NBA knew who you were, they're probably wondering, all right, who's this guy kind of hanging around some of our players? They, they may have even viewed you as an outsider to their actual team or organization. What were some of the things that you did to, to kind of mend those fences and to create the relationships? So now they're, they're actually okay with you talking to Jason Tatum at halftime of a game. They probably welcome it. Yeah, I mean, that was definitely a journey. I remember when I was in college, I was working out David Lee. He was my only NBA full-time client at the time. Late night, I'm out in Golden State, and we're working out. And I remember Mark Jackson, you know, kind of coming in the gym. He was still at the office. And I just remember him being like, who the F is this kid? And he yells. He's like, David. And, and Dealey was like, uh, I'm building in a second. Let's finish up. And he's like, David, like, get your ass over here. And so sure enough, you know, I was like, hey, how's it going? You know, and I was being nice. I was being friendly. I was like, oh, there's Mark Jackson, the head coach of the Golden State Warriors. Um, I was like, hey, man. I was like, I was like, man, I love what you do, this and that. And he was like, who are you? Like, what are you telling him? What are you doing? You know, David Lee was an all-star out there. So he's like, we don't want to mess up what we got going. We don't want another interest 
you know, pulling him away from what we want him to do for our team. And I learned a valuable lesson that night, which was be super proactive, make sure that everybody feels like they're on the same page and make sure there's no egos involved so that we can all collectively push that player in the same direction. That's the smartest thing I've ever heard anyone say about anything. Nowadays, I have such a good relationship with, you know, all the coaches. Last week, uh, Eric Spolstra, Ime Odoku were both in the gym, um, you know, and, and watching their guys work out. You know, almost all the head coaches, I have a, like, text message basis with, if I'm coming in town, I'm making sure I, I hit them up, let them know I'm coming in town. I'm talking to the player development coaches. I'm talking to the rebounders. I'm talking to whoever is working them out on the days that I'm not there. And nowadays it works because one, I've built those relationships. They've also know that I'm pushing the players in the same direction. I'm just trying to get that player, the best player they can be for that team. But I mean, it, it's definitely, it took me a decade to earn the trust of a lot. And now that I've had enough all-stars, enough kind of resume builders, enough kind of, you know, growth in players' games. Now they, they not only welcome me, but they welcome me with open arms and make sure that, you know, I feel like I have all the resources I need to help that player out. Because again, all that matters is that the player gets the results. You know, if the player is their best version for that team, it doesn't matter if it was me that said something, if it was a rebounder that said something, if it was a parent that said something, it doesn't matter what happened. We just need them to get to that moment. And so these coaches know how much uh, trust these players have in me as their skills coach. And so they're like, you know what, why fight it? Let's welcome it and let's make sure that we're doing everything to utilize you as a weapon instead of kind of making it where it's a hindrance to the, to the player having to find different gyms and, you know, kind of hide it like we used to in the past. Yeah. So, so you're reaching out and being proactive and saying, look, this is you and me, not me versus you. This is, we're all 100%. working together for the exact same goal. Love that. All right. Last question for you. Um, you've had this staple of guys, as we've just established for years, many of them now over a decade. But I know you usually add one or two new guys every year, either in pre-draft or a, a veteran client. Walk me through the process of onboarding someone brand new that you have not worked with before, from what you do to evaluate them and what they need to proactively reaching out to their coaching staff. Just kind of walk us through that, and, and that'll put a big bow tie on this uh, on this awesome conversation. Yeah, no doubt. So like, like this year, I took on Tyrese Halliburton for the Pacers. Um, Chet Holmgren was a guy in the draft. So I'm going to take those two guys because one of them was established in the league and one of them is just entering, you know, just finished up his pre-draft so that you can see both of them because they're different. You know, for a guy like, like Chet, Chet is a guy that I, I think has unbelievable potential. He's a guy that I think is going to be really, really special. For him, he, it's, it's twofold. It's number one, helping him understand what the NBA is like. You know, little things like, hey, you showed up to the gym and you don't have anybody here to stretch you out or tape you up or do these things like you need those those people there or showing up to a dinner and you're like, hey, I know that it doesn't seem like it, but you might want to have a security guard out with you when you're going out on nights out. And so they just don't know those things. So you have to develop them on and off the court on the court. You're also teaching them little rules about the game. You know, you're teaching them like, hey, 290 means you only can be in the key for, you know, 2.9 seconds. You can't be in the key for three seconds. Here's a little trick that you can do. You have one foot in, one foot out. When anybody's cutting, naturally use your wingspan to touch people because then the count starts over, you know, making sure that on drop coverages, you know, one of the cool things was Chet was, you know, had a big conversation with Joel Embiid and was like, Joel, you know, it's really hard to stop you. He's like, well, here's one of the things you can do. Lean forward more if you get your posture more forward. So younger guys, it's more about just giving them a as much of a dump, like you're just trying to dump as much knowledge as, as you can on them. So they understand how to develop as a professional and as a player for guys that are in the league, Tyrese Halliburton, 
what we're really trying to do is we're trying to go back and evaluate everything that they've done to that point and then find kind of areas in their game that we think that they can grow and then prioritize those areas. So for Tyrese, he's a guy that, you know, when he got to Indiana, he averaged, I think, 9.6 or 7 assists per game. We're like, that's unbelievable. One of the best passers in the world already. But he's never been a scorer in his entire life. He's always been pass first, score second. Indiana needs him to be able to score. And so, you know, even his coach, it was funny because he was out here, uh, you know, two weeks ago. And he's like, Tyrese, I love that you're actually looking at the rim. And he's, I'm like, man, when you have the green light from your head coach, there's nothing better. You know, when you know that he, he's cheering for you, he's pulling for you, and he's going to push you in that direction that you need to be pushed. And so with him, we went back, we looked at all of his possessions, we broke down film together. Then we also dug into the mindset of why he wasn't a scorer. You know, we went back even as far as, hey, Tyrese, when you were in high school, you weren't a top ranked player. You know, you were always under ranked. That's why you end up going to Iowa State. That was really your only big time high major offer. Then, you know, you have to go two years. You're not a one and done guy like a lot of people. Then you're not picked in the top, you know, five picks like some of these superstars. So like always he's had that kind of feeling inside that, you know what, there's other people that are better than me. And so now what happens is when he is the number one scorer for the Indiana Pacers, he doesn't even feel that way because he, he might know that he's the best player, but he doesn't feel like he's that guy, the guy that can like put the team on the back. Still to the point where, really cool story, I never had worked with him before, never had met him. I'm up with Joel Embiid in Philadelphia. He's getting ready. This is when he was still on the Kings, but he's getting ready to play against Joel. So the night before, um, his agent said, hey, is there any way that me, you, and Tyrese can go to dinner because we want to chop it up? We want to try to convince you to take on Tyrese as a client. I said, perfect. So we go to dinner, and we sat down, and the first thing I said was I started naming off these guys. I started naming off random players in the NBA. I mean, they're still in the NBA, which means they're good players, but I started naming off all these players, and I said, are all, which one of those guys are better than you? He's like, what? None of them. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, dude, are you serious? And I was like, well, all of those guys average more field goal attempts per game. So in their mind, they think they're better than you. He was like, whoa. He's like, all those dudes average more field goal attempts. I'm like, yeah, you're not being aggressive enough. So then we start breaking it down. And I start talking about things. And I said, hey, where do you think you're going to be when you, you know, you're finished your career? And he starts naming off all these accolades. And then I start saying, okay, well, here are the point guards that have had those accolades. And I looked and I said, all these guys average this many points, this many field goal attempts, this many, whatever. And I said, you're not even close there. So you're not even giving yourself a chance to accomplish the things you want to accomplish. So then that night I said, listen, I'll make you a deal. If you want me to work you out, if you want me to be your trainer, tomorrow night against Philadelphia, you have to shoot at least 14 shots per game, like 14 shots. That's it in the game. And he's like, what do you mean? I was like, if you don't shoot 14 shots, I'm not taking you on as a client. He was like, okay. He didn't realize that 14 shots isn't even that aggressive. 14 shots should be a normal thing for a star. So that night he comes out and for him, he felt like he was jacking shots. He finished the game 11 for 19. He had a career high 38 points or 38 or 39 points. I think 38. After the game, he came in the hallway. Big smile. George's Niang, one of his good buddies, is in the hallway with him. And George goes, Drew, hey, listen, I heard Tyrese took you on a date last night to get him confident. He said, hey, are you open tomorrow? I'd love to take you on a date. <laughs> and the point was I had never spent one second on the court with him. Yeah. But mentality-wise changed. And the aggressiveness changed, which then got him to be the best version of himself. And so that's what it looks like when you're in the NBA is you're kind of breaking down. Is it a mentality thing? Is it a skill thing? Is it an opportunity thing? And then kind of figuring out how to shrink those gaps between where you are and where you want to be. My boy's wicked smart. And, and let's not gloss over the fact 
that you use the unseen hours to prepare for that dinner. I mean, you had to look up his stats, how many points, you know, or, or how many field goal attempts he was averaging. You, you did the research on the other guys in his class that were putting up more shots. You researched guys that had reached certain accolades, what they were doing. So you didn't just casually stroll into that dinner. You took your own medicine and you approached the unseen hours to do your due diligence, plant the seed, and then the rest is history. So, man, I, I can't thank you enough. This was a fun conversation, as is every conversation we have. Uh, I appreciate um, you allowing me to use the term unseen hours. I, I promise you, if I ever sign a Bradley Beal size contract, I will pay you a very handsome royalty on that phrase. Uh, until then, I'll just keep telling people you're the one that taught it to me. But, man, this was awesome. Thank you, as always, and uh, wishing you continued success, brother. Awesome. Appreciate it, man. You know, I'm pulling for you, cheering for you. And I appreciate all the, the things that you did early on in my career that helped me set, you know, set the table for everything that's going now. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for investing your time with us. I hope we helped you raise your game and provided useful insight on how you can maximize the unseen hours. If you found this episode helpful, would you be open-minded to supporting the show? Would you be kind enough to share it with a friend or colleague? Would you take 30 seconds and leave us a rating and review? Those two things help support the show's mission and message more than you realize. And don't ever forget, a candle loses nothing by lighting another candle. If I can ever be of service to you or your organization, please visit allensteinjr.com or strongerteam.com for a variety of speaking and coaching resources. 